and welcome to the AARP edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. We are now 60 episodes old, so that means, I think, we qualify for some senior discounts, whether it be at Denny's, IHOP, or any hotel in the metro area. Bring it on. I've, I've been looking forward to this literally my whole life. I am your host, the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. Early bird gets the worm, right, Jason? So if you get there nice and early, they'll not only give you the senior discount, they'll give you the early bird discount, too. I don't eat worms, so I'm not really interested. Uh, There are so many stories that I want to get to today, Joseph, like the story about the airlines that are cracking down on pets on board uh, and, and one person who tried to bring a crazy pet on board. I have that story. I have a story about a lady who keeps trying to get on airplanes and she's really not getting the idea or I guess the suggestion that she's not supposed to be a stowaway on airplanes. Uh, and also about the idea to pay people to get on the bus in Denver and try to ease up congestion around town. But I want to start with the infrastructure plan that was talked about by the president in his State of the Union address last night. President Trump mentioned infrastructure in his, in his address. It was later in the address. But And he didn't really give exact details, but he did mention that he wants to get uh, some money for infrastructure and start rebuilding America and the roads and the bridges and the trains and the the infrastructure. And and that includes, you know, the the power lines and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So he talked about all of that stuff. But it it was really all pushed aside last year for health care reform and for the tax uh, bill that eventually became law. So there's a leaked copy out there of this infrastructure plan. So it hasn't been officially released yet, but uh, this leaked copy says it'll be a couple hundred billion dollars that they want to put into roads and rail and other infrastructure needs. Really, in all I heard, Trump would like to see, after it's all said and done, a trillion and a half dollars poured into infrastructure. And it would be nice to see that kind of money poured back into our you know, roads and bridges and all these all these uh, issues that, that need to be repaired and maintained. Absolutely. And systems that are really, you know, you don't want to say crumbling because they're still perfectly capable of getting people from point A to point B, but they're not modernized. And that's what we're really looking at here. And, and they say about half of the money would be dedicated to this infrastructure incentives initiative and that certain states can compete for it. Now, what does that mean? Only states that have, quote, raised their own revenue for transportation in the last three years, unquote, can compete for this grant. That's what some people are saying. Now, that would make Colorado ineligible for the com- uh, competition uh, for those funds because Colorado hasn't really put any money into transportation in the last many years. They, uh, we, we haven't raised our gas tax, which is $0.22 cents, since 1991. The federal gas tax is $0.18.5. Cents. Uh, that has not been raised since 1993. So you would think that the gas tax for the state and the gas tax for the federal government would probably be raised uh, to probably bring in some more money for this infrastructure plan. And the way he wants to pay for it is interesting as well. So the, the spending plan initially would be about $200 billion over 10 years. The, the proposal is also a plan to flip the formula for the federal support for transportation projects. So currently, the way it works, the federal government... They pick up about 80% of the cost of a project when it's when it's done. Well, the local governments, they contribute about 20%. Now, this proposal basically flips that upside down, requiring the state and the local governments to put up 80% of the cost 
while the federal government is going to reduce their share to 20%. And I think what they're doing there is trying to make those federal dollars go farther and actually make the local agencies have more uh, meat on the plate, if you will. Right. They're setting up a system where there have to be tax cuts, but they're not going to be the ones to raise taxes. They're going to make state and local authorities do the dirty work there. Right. So I, I, but I don't think Democrats are really going to go for for this because there's, there's still going to be a lot of negotiating going on there. I, I can't see the Democrats really going for a plan like this, the, the the least leaked version, the way it stands right now. So there's going to have to be some back and forth and some give and take on both sides before we eventually see a infrastructure bill come out of Congress and then hit the president's desk. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of work to be done there. Absolutely. Well, and I, you know. The, the competitive nature of it, because it's a $200 billion award given out over 10 years, you think $20 billion a year, you're literally setting up like a reality show where you have all of these states coming up with their best proposals and then submitting them to the president. And the president and his team pour over the documents to decide which one is the best before handing out all this cash at the end of every year. It's fascinating. I yeah. mean, it's really like Lord of the Flies almost. It could be, and we could have states competing against other states, and, and so you're going to see more of this competition between local governments, state governments, for all this federal money. Now, in, in Colorado, the Senate Bill 1, it passed out of its committee. The proposal actually is going to set aside 10% of sales tax revenues, or about $350 million a year for transportation needs, particularly the expansion of I-25 up north, down south, I-70 through the mountains. It would also ask voters to approve a plan to sell $3.5 billion in bonds to pay for transportation projects right now, and those bonds would then be repaid over the 10 years by that $350 million per year that would be set aside by that new Colorado Senate Bill 1 that's making its way through the Senate. Now, Democrats have said the bill doesn't raise enough money to make a significant dent in the backlog of projects. Well, that, why, why should that stop it? What you Sometimes perfection gets in the way of great or good, and I think that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to get in the way of good or even great. Right. Everybody wants a home run bill, but what you really need is a series of singles and doubles, and you'll score more runs that way at the end of the day. Exactly. The Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce has said they would like to put a sales tax measure for transportation on the November ballot. So far, I've seen poll numbers that put that at a 50-50 passing. So, I mean, only we would we would only know after the after election day in November. But I would at least like to see something on the ballot this year. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. we got to do something. Well, Colorado Governor Hickenlooper, he was asked about all of this, and he made a very interesting comment. As part of his comments, he said, using public-private partnerships aren't the answer because private companies need to see a steady stream of cash over decades that repays their upfront investment. That's a lot of tolls, and we are not a toll-friendly state. I completely agree what the governor said there because we are going to be paying – Plenary roads up along Highway 36 for 30 years. Well, I guess maybe it's more like 27 years now. Mm-hmm. We're going to be paying the whatever, uh, maybe it's Kiwit or whatever, on I-70 for 30 years when they get done building that project. We're going to get done paying whatever company it is that's building the C-470 toll lanes for 30 years. And so maybe at this point, maybe that should be it for these express toll lanes and then be done with that idea and then just use our own tax-funded money, our, our, our own money. Let's build our own roads so we don't have these problems and other companies that are maintaining 
our roads for 30 years. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we're on the hook with these companies. We're turning these companies into behemoths. I mean, I mean, giving them millions and millions of dollars every year in advance. I, I just, I don't know. It seems like a bad way to do business, but that's just one man's opinion. Yeah, and you know what? And we're not a high-tax-friendly state, though. So there is a, uh, I guess, a balancing act here between getting new taxes from people who aren't really in support in the past of paying more taxes. So it'll be interesting to see how how all this works out. I imagine there will be a, a federal money heading here to Colorado in some way, shape, or form. There will be money heading here. We're going to have new state money. We'll have new federal money. And, and so I think we are going to see some improvements, at least maintenance improvements on our roads and bridges and that sort of thing, which will be well needed, and then maybe ex- expansion after that. They said last week or whatever that it was $9 billion worth of projects that they're trying to get done or they yeah. would need to get done to cut down the backlog. Is that accurate? About that, yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that is because the construction costs keep going up, labor costs go up, the cost of concrete isn't very uh, cheap. So, I mean, when you put it in the context of that, I mean, $350 million is not a big dent in $9 billion. No. You know, it's barely even 4%. But hey, it's a bunt single. That's true. You know, bunt single. If we can get somebody on base, and then we can kind of we can keep uh, keep it rolling and and uh, get some get a rally going and, and score some runs. I agree. I mean, I think that's really how it's going to get done is this series of whatever government maneuvering to allocate a hundred million here, two hundred million here, right. another fifty million here, and just chip away at that debt and hopefully pay it off sooner than later. Yeah, stop thinking about us as the Blake Street bombers of old and getting Dante Bichette and Larry Walker out there to jack out a couple of home runs. Uh let, let's take some singles. Let's go the single route and and score some runs that way. You really took that metaphor and ran with it, man. I, I sure that. did. Dante Bichette. Yes, that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for that game, that first game at Coors Field when he took one out in the thirteenth inning. I stayed for that whole game. That was oh, well. Man. Uh, you tipped me off to an editorial column in the Westward Magazine. Uh, it's a well, like a newspaper, whatever you want to call it. It was written by Drew Wilsey. And Drew is a local urban and transportation planner. He graduated from University of Colorado in 2013. He has a Master of Urban and Regional Planning, and he has worked for a couple of local consulting firms since then. From his social media postings, he's, he's obviously left of center, and, and that matters here because of the subject matter of his editorial. Mm-hmm. It's always good to know where someone sits before you hear where they stand on an issue. So Drew says in his editorial, we face a crisis in this city on a scale never seen before in our fair corner of the universe. Traffic. It is a truism that traffic in the Denver metro area has become awful. Any objective measure of incurred delay back up empirical observations by commuters that the city is turning into Los Angeles East. Yet, as Randall O'Toole recently pointed out in, uh, in The Hill... RTD ridership in terms of percentage of total commuters has mysteriously decreased. This is despite billions of dollars of transit investment and no fewer than three fixed guideway transit lines opening in the last three years. People are definitely using transit in record numbers, but that pesky 90 to 95 percent figure that represents the share of the total commute by single occupancy vehicles still persists. What is going on? Ask the average commuter. And they will tell you that they like transit, but it's just not for them personally. Only if the transit system were more efficient, the thinking goes, where more people would use it. 
therefore freeing up the road capacity for, quote, unquote, the rest of us. Clearly, there's a disconnect here. People want more transit, but almost no one prefers to use it. He's exactly right about that. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point. Reams of doctoral thesis papers have been filled trying to explore this conundrum inside urban planning departments across the country. But the answer is astonishingly simple. On paper, nothing beats the convenience of an automobile. An auto is an extension of your house, providing climate-controlled shelter, mobile storage, safety, privacy, speed, and the ability to go from any point A to any point B that your heart desires at any time. Exactly right. I learned in Economics 101 that people typically act in their own rational self-interest, and it's simply not in one's self-interest to use transit unless driving a car is comparatively more inconvenient and costly. He's, he's making a point here that I agree with, that people like to be comfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the simple answer is people like cars more than buses. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, and, and he just outlined a lot of those reasons, and he's exactly right. And that's the problem that people who are on the transit only side or the transit mostly side Mm -hmm. are trying to deal with okay so back to the paper it has been in vogue in planning over the last decade to try to promote auto inconvenience while also promoting the convenience of transit and other alternative modes to be fair a lot of the shift in relative convenience has happened naturally as denver has infilled and densified with thousands flocking downtown to live As traffic delay on I-25 increases and cheap, convenient parking downtown vanishes, transit naturally begins to win the battle of relative convenience. But some of this shift has been artificial. The conversion of existing general-purpose road capacity to bike and transit-only lanes is an example of this. As transit usage incentives go, it is too much stick and not enough carrot. We need more carrot. Now, this Westward Art editorial by transportation planner Drew Wilsey continues. Recently, I was inspired by the long-standing programs many states have that pay people five or ten cents per aluminum can to recycle. This is a very small amount of money, but it can successfully push recycling rates for aluminum cans up to significant levels, and cans are therefore rarely seen among other litter. Providing a simple cash incentive can be almost magical in affecting desirable policy or behavior. All right, here's me talking. I remember this program from when I was a kid. Growing up in Michigan, there was this program that went into effect when we started uh, recyc- that started to recycling uh, bottles and cans. They were they were really littering over the entire city of Detroit. So so they started charging five or ten cents when you bought a soda or bought a Coke or whatever. When you're buying a bottle or can, right? You were charged a deposit of five to ten cents. You return it to the store and you get your money back. Simple as that. When that program went into effect, my parents started collecting cans. My grandparents started collecting their cans. And so did all the homeless in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing huge garbage bags full of cans that these homeless people would drape over their carts, you know, their shopping carts as they're pushing them around downtown Detroit. And it became their major source of income. And it was almost a... We don't have to now uh, give any money to the homeless or the programs there because we're giving them all our bottles and cans that they can go collect and and pick up and then take back to the store and and make their money. It's really really a perfect example of getting an outcome when it becomes subsidized. Now, in this case, it was an incentive to get your money back because each bottle or can cost you five or ten cents over the the cost of the drink. Um, 
So again, when you when you incentivize something, you're going to get more of it. it. I mean, it's just such a great way to affect any sort of behavior. My wife and I, for the new year, started paying ourselves fifteen dollars every time we go to the gym. Works out. Yeah. I mean, like we, it's it's much more motivating than just unfortunately than just going to the gym would be exactly so, right. i don't know anytime you can attach a cash incentive to anything that's otherwise not very fun people are much more willing to do it all right back to the editorial why hasn't anyone ever thought to try and apply this concept to transit transit usage can be expensive especially to the poorest in our society and often it isn't even cost competitive compared to a cheap fuel efficient used automobile let alone competitive in terms of time and convenience the vast majority of the operating budgets for most transit districts don't even come from individual fare riders. They come from taxes. Why not turn that cost competitiveness disadvantage on its head? RTD has been averaging around 100 million boardings per annum in the last few years. Say a system where implemented where a person received a flat 25 cents per boarding with no monthly cap and all potential abuses of such a system were effectively controlled. That totals up to only $25 million. In 2016, RTD's total operating budget was nearly $500 million. Therefore, $25 million would represent only about 5% of RTD's 2016 budget. All right, got to stop for a second. Uh, it's actually, I think, about 25% of RTD's budget comes directly from passenger fares. 75% comes from taxes. It equals about $150 million or so. So right off the bat, his math is not quite right. RTD would lose nearly $200 million, lose $200 million of their about $500 million budget if this plan to pay riders even that little was enacted. So where is that extra money going to come from? How are they going to make up that extra money to pay? So so right now and, and – Right. No, I mean I don't think – did he say that people would be able to ride for free? This seems no, to no, me no, like not it's free. Just, get paid. No, I know, but what I'm saying is, you get paid in addition to paying the fare, right? Like no, this is more why, of that a, would just be a reduction of the fare. Well, well, it's a rewards program, right? Right. So instead of you paying a buck fifty to get on the bus, you are actually paid twenty five cents to get on the bus. Well, right. So what I'm saying is, I I, I just wonder if we're getting this right because. My understanding is that you pay, you still pay the 150 to get on the bus, but you're collecting these 25 cent coins every time you get on and eventually you can cash those in. Like your ticket becomes worth 25 cents after you purchase it. If you were just getting paid 25 cents per rider per ride, yeah, that's insane. And and really his biggest problem was trying to do any sort of actual math on this because the math isn't going to work the way that no. their budget is currently constructed. Well, and he, and he talks more about that. So back to the editorial, the current projected cost to complete the B commuter rail line to Boulder is about $1.5 billion. Let's say we took that sum of money, assuming it materialized, and instead rerouted it in its entirety to paying people to take transit over the next 10 years. Leaving the existing system as is, minus the completed B-line, RTD could afford to pay people $1.50 for every transit boarding based on current ridership numbers for the next decade. Every existing commuter would make $3 a weekday just for taking transit to and from work. Again, his math is wrong because as you're incentivizing something, we're asking more people to get on the bus, you're going to get more riders. So therefore... It's not going to stay at the exact same ridership level when you start paying people to get on the bus. Right. Well, and good luck convincing people to pay higher taxes for transit so that 
somebody else can get paid every time they use the transit that I just paid for. Right. It's another just take from one and give to another plan. Now, from a ridership standpoint, yes, pay me $1.50 every time I get on the bus. I, I'll ride the bus everywhere I go. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what, I, and that's what I think bus. he's trying to do. And that's exactly the idea here. So back to the Westward editorial by transportation planner Drew Wilsey. I predict that under this scenario, transit ridership would likely skyrocket for the entire system, rail and bus. So therefore, he, he can see that, that the ridership's going to increase, but he didn't adjust his math to account for that ridership increase. The sky would be the limit on the percentage of total commuters choosing, choosing transit over driving. Doubling or tripling the existing bus capacity could result in doubling or even tripling of the number of annual boardings. For the price to complete the B-line, Denver might eventually rival Boston or San Francisco in terms of transit usage per capita. Again, what he's un- he's forgetting is, th- is this change in the ridership and the cost to move more riders. He- he's-, he's still using current rider figures where people pay to ride the bus, but he did admit, and, and I agree, that if riders were paid, there would be more people a- on the bus and the trains. But he's not figuring all that into his cost analysis because you're going to need more buses, you're going to need more gas, you're going to need more maintenance, and all these different increased costs when you have more riders. And it also becomes more uncomfortable for the rider on that bus. One of the reasons, if I got on a bus, I would enjoy it more is because it would be empty. And that's the way it would be right now. But if if we incentivize people to get on the bus... They obviously be more full, and it makes riding it uncomfortable. Well, and I mean, one of the things is that you would have people who would ride the bus just to get that coupon back or whatever, or just t- pick up people's coupons after they throw them away. Yeah. I mean, similar to what you do with bottles and cans now. Now, Drew says, of course, if we could double or triple the commute share of transit in Denver, we need the need for expanded road capacity would decrease substantially over the next 25 years. According to current projections, about $153 billion of maintenance and expansion projects are needed in that same time frame. Also, existing congestion delay is estimated to cost Denver drivers about $2 billion per year. Cutting that delay down by even 20% will result in an overall congestion cost savings of about $400 million per year. Again, He's under the false impression that just because you have fewer drivers on the roads, that you don't need to spend all that money on maintaining those roads. Even if fewer people are driving on them, they still need to be maintained at the about same level. Yes, there's going to be a little bit less maintenance, let's say with repaving every so often on certain roads because they're being used less often, but still time takes its toll whether you have people driving on them or not. It's the roads still need to be maintained. Whether it's a highway, some highways will still need to be widened, um, especially in the rural areas of the state where this transit plan cannot help them. You're not going to be able to help people between Greeley and and Longmont with this transit plan because it's it's not available to them for the most part. Correct. Correct. So it's it's going to be mostly for the urban people around Metro Denver, and, and unfortunately. There's no good transit out there. There is good transit in downtown Denver and the immediate area, but but it also doesn't mean the traffic's going to evaporate if everybody jumps on the transit. Anyway, he continues, factoring in hundreds of millions of dollars of savings from expansion projects that no longer have to happen and from significantly decreased commute delay and increased economic productivity, paying people to take transit could actually end up as significant financial windfall to all Denver taxpayers, drivers, 
and transit riders alike. Meanwhile, the poorest in the city would have a little extra money in their pockets every month. Seems like a win-win to me. Imagine that. So that was from that editorial that was in um, the Westward. Now, when he said savings from increased economic productivity, that isn't exactly a dollar-for-dollar kind of savings thing. That money is just then not being spent on either, let's say, overtime or vehicle maintenance or gasoline or other lost productivity costs. So it's not like saying, well, your company just saved $10,000 in overtime pay because there's less congestion on the roadways, so now you're going to have to pony up to RTD $10,000 that you would have otherwise spent on all those different costs. That's not how it works. So when they say there's $2 billion lost in productivity because of congestion, they're losing it because of all these other maintenance that you wouldn't necessarily have to pay. So those people that would have had to pay get to keep that money and spend it in other ways that maybe are more productive to the society in general or the economy in general. Exactly. It, it, exactly. It's not like it goes straight into RTD's pockets. It's not like RTD sees any benefit. It's a way to sell it to other people. Exactly. You know, again, the thinking of the transit-loving people, the thinking that they that they want everybody to ride the bus or train is it, it's fine for them, but it's not fine for everybody. In his scenario with increased riders, without increased capacity, it just wouldn't work right because there aren't people that want to do that sort of thing. It doesn't appear in his scenario that they he's really accounted for any of the increase in costs for RTD or the extra tax money that's going to need to come in and be collected and that how that's going to affect the overall economy and sales. When there are higher sales taxes, you're going to have fewer sales. Why do you think Amazon did so well for so long? Because you had higher sales taxes and people were avoiding paying the sales taxes by buying things online and then you're saving. Let's say you're buying something for 100 or $200 on Amazon. You're saving yourself, what, five, six, seven, ten bucks? That's and, and if you do that five, six, seven, ten times, that's real money. Exactly. It all adds up over time. It does. If I have to ride on a bus or a train, I want it to be nearly empty. Now, that's just me. <laughs> I, I want the same thing for my airplane. It's just not desirable to me to be to be packed in with all these other people. But again, that's that's just me. If I had to do it, I guess I would have to I would, I would have to do it. But even if the ridership does increase to astronomical levels, there's still going to be people that are wanting to drive or need to drive for, for their own personal reasons, and that should be okay, too. You shouldn't have to guilt shame or, or force somebody out of their car if they don't want to be. Right. Well, in, in trying to encourage people to sell their cars and live a car-free lifestyle, it's a slippery slope. I mean, if, if only 5% of the population had cars, imagine how much more difficult it would be for the rest of the population to get from point A to point B conveniently when they wanted to. It just needs to be a mix of options. Because I just was reading a story about how New York City, they want to charge, go again, uh, charging people to drive in a certain area of Manhattan, a congestion charge of like uh, 11 or $12 per car. Um, and, and they think that most of the people will be paying it will not be uh, from the average New York commuter because those people will take already take transit, and so it's going to affect other people that are coming into the city. So, it, again, it has to be a mix of options. Yes. It, it can't just be one option. You, can't, you can never just force somebody out of their car if they don't want to get out of their car. You know, one size doesn't fit all in the world of moving people around a city, unfortunately. All right, coming up, Joseph, I have a great story. Somebody, you know, we, we've talked about pets on airplanes, right? And it's becoming a little bit ridiculous. Well, not only are some airlines cracking down on this, I saw a video of a woman who tried to bring an exotic animal on board 
You won't believe this story. We'll have that coming up as the Driving Crazy podcast continues. Que se vean entre iguales los escudos y miedos Buscando el justo reencuentro entre lo viejo y lo nuevo This is Driving You Crazy, the podcast. I'm always working a day ahead, so it's it's not the breaking news. And there are times where I'm like, oh man, I wish I could be out there and, and doing those stories, but getting those characters involved and finding the reasons to make people care, whether it's in the garden with a bunch of little, like, five-year-olds, doing stories that are in the community and you're getting to know people. I think that's the most important because so often people say, well, where did you get that story idea? The best story ideas that I do are from people in the community. After meeting them or saying, hey, reach out to me if you have an idea. And they're these ones that people care about, and you can tell that when you're telling it. Connor Wist, only on Denver 7. The craziest thing that happens on a morning show is unfortunately not during the morning show. It's typically during the commercial breaks. There's a lot that goes on. We wake up really early in the morning, and so we're always a little bit tired, a little bit, well, off our rocker at times. So unfortunately, you don't get to see it. We see it. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where the talk is cheap, and so is this podcast. Actually, you can pay me two cents for my thoughts anytime. I don't. I don't. I have, here's a dollar. I mean, I'll take that, too. If you pay me to do it, I will do more of it. I'm paying you in advance. This is just an advance, so now I get 98 thoughts. Yes. Is that the way it is? Exactly. All right. Did you hear about the 66-year-old woman who uh, whose efforts to sneak onto airplanes have earned her the title of serial stowaway? Uh, it's been a while. I've heard about her a few years ago, but then she disappeared from the headlines. Yes. Well, she's back. Uh, she was just arrested this past weekend after Chicago police found her at O'Hare Airport because just a few days earlier, Marilyn Hartman, she sneaked onto a flight to London. British Customs detained her at Heathrow returned her back to O'Hare, where police then arrested her. It was the 10th time she managed to sneak onto an airplane. And she's been ordered to stay away from Chicago's, all of Chicago's airports, not just O'Hare, but all of the airports in Chicago, and to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. She's done all of this before. Yes. I remember it, she was the same one from San Jose, right? That was trying to stow away from San Jose to Hawaii. Yeah. But three year, three days after she was ordered to, to stay away from the airports, she was right back at O'Hare. She's been arrested numerous times, like you said. She's eluded security multiple times. She's been in and out of court multiple times. She just won't stop. Uh, I think the best way to deal with this, though, is have an airline maybe give her a free fly-anywhere pass so then it doesn't become attractive to her to try to sneak onto the plane. So then she would, would stop doing it. It's like the people who, I'm sure you've seen the stories of people who shoplift and they do it just for the thrill, not because they want the stuff or need the stuff. They just do it for the thrill of it to see if they can get away with it. There's a lot of people that, that have that adrenaline need. And I think this is what her need is. She wants to just try to jump on board some plane to see if she can do it. Well, and like I say with all criminals, if they've done it 
if you, they've gotten caught doing it ten times, they've probably done it a hundred times. Right. So think of all the free flights she's gotten that nobody ever noticed she was taking. How about this for an idea? We could fly her to a place that has, let's say, only one flight a week. It's a small airport somewhere. It gets off the plane. She has to stay there for that week. And then, and then the, the plane will come pick her up, and then she can try to sneak on board. But, but not like a major metro, like Heathrow or O'Hare Airport. Her, her life sounds like a movie. I just picture the for her psychiatric evaluation, the psychiatrist just saying, "What's wrong with you?" And the woman saying, "I just like planes. I just like them." I'm sure you heard of the story of the Instagram fitness model Jen uh, Selter. She was taken off an American Airlines flight by cops after arguing with a flight attendant. Now Jen was with her sister. They were waiting on a flight that was going from Miami to LaGuardia in New York. But it was delayed for about 90 minutes because of a mechanical issue. So they're all just sitting on the plane there. And while another passenger got up, went to the bathroom, she decided, Jen did, to to stand up and get something out of the overhead compartment. Well, the flight attendant asked her to sit down. And arguing ensued. And when the flight attendant asked Jen if she wanted to get off the plane, Jen replied, yes. Well, she later asserted that she was being sarcastic, but that was it. Because the flight attendants don't have much of a sense of humor when it comes to these sort of things. Or anything. Police came onto the plane and removed her and her sister and also an additional passenger. Some flight attendants don't really like it when you talk back to her they, or, or him. They, they, they don't like the sassy mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they, the flight attendants, sized up this internet person and weren't I've read stories, a lot of stories, about how when you first get on the plane, the flight attendants are sizing you up. Mm-hmm. Are you nice? What do you like? What do you do? Uh, are, are you going to be a problem? Um, you know, unfortunately, this is still a society where people judge you on your looks and your behavior. Was she in first class doing that? I don't believe so. That's what I'm saying. 12 million Instagram followers won't buy you much if you're still flying commercial on American Airlines. I know. twelve. She has 12 million Instagram followers. I, I have just over 2,000, so I have some, uh, I'm lagging behind just a little bit. I have some catching up to do. <laughs> it seems to be, though, that both women here are probably at fault. Uh, Jen was lippy. The flight attendant overreacted. Everybody was bugged, I'm sure, even the flight attendants, that the flight was delayed because, you know, the flight attendants are working. They don't want to they don't want to sit there and, and, and be on the plane any longer than you people do. They just don't. Nope. And, nope. and so I'm sure all of that led to the confrontation because I, I, I like to joke and be sarcastic. You know that. Uh, but believe me, I hold my tongue often. When I'm in and around an airport. Right. I mean, I have a totally different airport vocabulary. I mean, you don't use the word bomb. You don't use the word terrorist. You don't use the word gun. You don't use the word al-Qaeda. You don't use the word ISIS. Like, all of these things are just things that you don't say at the airport. I know. It's hard sometimes. So my my little one, uh, six-year-old, she started calling for some reason, I don't know why, years ago, she started calling uh, cottage cheese bomb. I, I don't know why. She I mean, just, it does she taste goes, good. She, she loves bomb. Okay. And then she, she, we have to go to the store and buy some bomb. Well, you can't, obviously, you can't ever let that slip at an airport. My little girl wants some bomb. Perfect. Well, we had a segment in a past show all about people who abuse the airline policy about bringing emotional support dogs and other animals on board when you fly, right? My brother in Portland, we talked about him. He does it with his little Bichon. 
He has it registered as a therapy dog, just basically filled out something online, paid 100 bucks or whatever it is. And, and now he has a certificate that makes it an emotional support dog so he could bring it on board so he doesn't have to pay the extra money to, to, to bring it on the, the plane when he flies. Now here's this story. Delta is implementing stricter rules for bringing emotional support animals on planes. After several pet safety-related incidents and complaints of dog poop and urine-soaked cabins, Delta announced that it would be enforcing stricter requirements for support animals. you imagine a dog bending over and squatting one out on the airplane? I mean... They got to do it somewhere at the end of the day. Wow. Okay. Uh, Unlike service dogs that are trained to physically help their disabled owners by performing tasks, the purpose of an emotional support dog is to provide comfort to those suffering from mental or psychiatric disabilities. No special training is needed for a pet to become a support animal, and only a letter from a doctor or you buy one online is needed. However, beginning in March of 2018... It won't be enough to present the airline with just that documentation before boarding a flight. Passengers will also have to sign a statement vouching that their animal is well-behaved, as well as provide proof of good health and an up-to-date vaccination record for their dog or other animal at least 48 hours before traveling. And this is on Delta Airlines. Owners of psychiatric service animals must provide a letter from a health provider saying the animal is trained to behave in public. The stricter requirements are being implemented in conjunction with Delta's claim that there's been a 150% increase in service and support animals since 2015 and an 85% increase in animal-related problems since 2016. In one particularly bad incident in June of 2016, it involved a man. He was mauled by a large and aggressive emotional support dog on a Delta flight from Atlanta to San Diego. The passenger sat down at his window seat and the dog reportedly attacked him. He couldn't get out, couldn't get the dog off of him, and the dog bit the guy twice in the face, causing some pretty severe damage. I mean, this, to, it's not surprising to me that this sort of service dog fraud has gone up so significantly in the last few years, because I think a lot of young people saw service dogs and said to themselves, oh, a way to get a dog on the plane for free. Yes. How can I do this? And the emotional support excuse is great, but there's no national regulation for it. We've said this over and over again on the podcast. So there's no bureau that you can go to to get your dog completely certified 100% that's approved by all sources. That's why you get shady doctors issuing these cards and these letters. And that's why airlines have to take some sort of action to make sure that fraud isn't happening. At some point, at some point, the national government is going to have to get involved in this and set up some sort of regulatory agency for service dogs and emotional support dogs, because there's no other way to avoid this kind of fraud unless there's are cards and stricter regulations in place. I think it all stems back from that 1986 act that allows for free travel, basically, basically of any animal uh, that's trained to assist a person with a disability or, or designed to provide emotional support. So that is going to have to be looked at, probably rewritten and or adjusted, amended, whatever, uh, before any of this, uh, any of this stuff really decreases. Well, and adjusted, I think, is the key word because I don't think any of us are saying like, don't let the blind person not have his well, seeing of course, eye dog. That's on the different plane. than an emotional support. Right. Animal. That, there's levels, exactly. There's levels, and and 
you know, maybe some of these animals do provide emotional support and they get a discount, but they don't get to ride for free. I don't know. You know, I just think that it's something that we need to really have that conversation about before we get too far down the line and you've got... 230 people and eight dogs on your next flight to Dallas. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, um, when you when you buy a ticket for a pet to bring it on board, they're supposed to remain in their carriers during the entire flight. But emotional support animals are allowed to fly uncaged and can even sit on the owner's lap or shoulder or arm or whatever the case may be. And there's really no size or weight restrictions for support animals because they're not charge the typical $125 travel fee that non-support animals and pets are charged with, and they put a certain pet in the cargo area of the airplane, or certain, like, the little ones could fit in your in, in the in the area in the seat under under your feet, right? right. So dogs are, are are not the only animal, though, that are that are, uh, people are registering. Delta reports the flight crews have encountered more unusual emotional support animals like turkeys, possums, snakes, and spiders, but many airlines don't allow some of those more dangerous animals because we don't want to have a, uh, a Samuel L. Jackson scenario where you have all these blank snakes on this blank plane. Spiders was really the one that jumped out to me. Do we really need it? Yeah. How is the spider providing well, you with emotional support? Some people support? like those uh, little tarantulas. Well, I guess they're not little, but they, they're, they're emotional support tarantula. No, I... I how is it supporting you emotionally? Do you look at the spider and say to yourself, I'm creepy. I'm, I'm living my best life. Yes, you okay. do. At least those people do. Now, Jan- John uh, Lauder, he is a Delta Senior Vice President for Corporate Safety, Security, and Compliance. He says the rise in serious incidents involving animals in flight leads us to believe that the lack of regulation in both health and training screening for these animals is creating unsafe conditions across U.S. air travel. And so I think when we were talking about that act, the 1986 act, it's going to have to be amended in, in some way. It's really difficult, though, to change these things and challenge them because it's, it's subjective what is necessary for some people, like a spider, for the emotional stability of that one individual passenger. Because everybody likes to be their own person and everybody likes to be a little bit weird. And so what makes you say, I can't have my emotional sloth? With me on the plane. But exactly. you can bring your emotional uh, koala bear. Well, koala bears are dangerous. and But they're so cute. It's true. Um, I, I really feel like I slandered the emotional support spider person earlier. And I, I feel like I need to apologize, first of all. But also, we'd really like to talk to that person. Like, if we could get <laughs> the person who tried to bring an emotional support spider on a Delta Airlines flight on the podcast, I would tremendously appreciate uh, that. We'll, we'll look for that. But in it, what has to be most egregious case of trying to bring an outrageous support animal on a plane, I give you this story of a woman who tried to bring her emotional support peacock on a flight in New York City. There is video, I saw the video, of her walking into the terminal with this peacock on her shoulder, full peacock. Big, they're big animals. Right. The woman was at Newark. She tried to bring it onto a United's flight, and even though the bird had its own ticket, it was ultimately decided by United that it wouldn't be allowed on the plane. A spokesperson for United said that the customer was told in the lobby that she would not be able to travel with that peacock. They say that this thing is big. It's a, peacocks are big animals with a long tail. 
with all those feathers. Big and loud. Yes. And all birds are loud. And no, and I'm poopy. Good. Yeah, I don't need that on the plane. Now, they say the peacock didn't meet guidelines for a number of reasons, you think? Including its weight and size, and the passenger was told three separate times before coming to the airport that the peacock would not be allowed on the airplane. So United requires passengers to provide documentation from a medical professional and and have that 48 hours notice. But this is the reason that these like Delta and other airlines are looking at increasing these requirements and uh, upping the uh, maybe the the requirements of what they can bring on board. It's smart. It's good policy. I mean, I mean, I wish they would hurry up already because but. they they have said, and I did read as part of a different story that uh, these airlines have let other exotic animals on board on basically a case-by-case scenario. So, like, they wouldn't let this peacock on board, but they have let, like, a miniature horse or or a little pig mm-hmm. or even a monkey on board. Monkey's a good one. Monkey. Oh, monkey is a really good one. You okay. imagine that? Yeah. Monkeys are very personable. I feel like monkey makes more sense than a lot of the other animals we've listed off. It takes, really, a special kind of person. To want to try to pull off bringing your emotional support peacock on an airplane and, and thinking that's a really good idea. I'm sure she is really popular on social media now. I want to see, I, I really wanted to see the video of her trying to get that thing through security. Could you imagine that? She, <laughs> did, you she go, didn't even make it to security, you, right? No, no, no. Didn't make it through security. Didn't make it to security. But could you imagine? Do, do they put it through the x-ray machine? <laughs> or take it through the, that body scanner where you have to stand there with your hands up and, and let it scan your whole body? All right. Let's see all your feathers. That's a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Okay, what about the privacy of the peacocks? <laughs> that thing is naked after all, isn't it? Under all the feathers? It's true. It's that, true. That would have been... Internet gold. Are you kidding me? It's already internet gold, man. It is. I can't believe that story. It is unbelievable. But you know, there you go. That's that's the society we're living in, Joseph. There it is right there. You're just shaking your head. Infuriating. I mean, just... it's just infuriating. Like, what were you thinking the day you went down to the veterinarian and said, Hey, can we register this peacock as an emotional support animal? I can't imagine traveling without it. Do you think she took an Uber and had it in the car? Or a taxi. She would have. <laughs> the airport. She would have better luck getting onto the plane than getting into an Uber with a peacock. Right? Oh man, how great is that? Ugh. Oh, this woman. Oh, it's fantastic. All right, well that's it for this episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Of course, you can always contact us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all the other. You can. There's links here on the podcast. Always, if you would, please give us a. Uh, comment or recommendation or whatever there on the iTunes we would appreciate that because then I actually saw on uh, the Podbean where we're, we're being hosted uh, one of the recommended podcasts I actually saw our little uh, podcast right there being recommended big time that's big huge time. that's something I don't know if it's because you know listening to the podcast often or, or what but it, it said hey here's a podcast that you might like this podcast you listen to every day keep doing it <laughs> that's right. right thanks again for being here thanks for listening and until next time i'm jason luber the traffic guy i'm emotional support spider advocate joseph peters <laughs> be safe and as always happy motoring